Hey guys, it's Jackie, founder of All Mama Care and Mama to a Super Kid. When my son was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia at 21 months old, not only did I feel my world was ending, but I was alone and scared. I made it my job to get my hands on every resource possible to become educated about his diagnosis. And I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I was determined to become empowered and do everything possible to help my baby and my family thrive. Along the way, I've had the pleasure of connecting with some wonderful organizations and meeting some of the most caring and authentic people. This podcast is dedicated to supporting parents and families while their child is going through cancer treatment and beyond. I share with you all the resources that have played a major factor during this time in my family's life, and I'm so glad you're here with me. And now, let's get this episode started. And that word wonder again, they're allowed to wonder about what their goals are or what the future looks like, or even just about what they're going through in the present moment. Many times families are so focused on their child's diagnosis and treatment that overall care and well-being takes a back seat. I had the pleasure of speaking with Jill Alvarez, our spiritual counselor, this week on the podcast. She shares with us what palliative care is and the many services that fall under that umbrella. And we specifically focus on spiritual care. She is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to working with families and children with life-threatening illnesses and allowing them to wonder and explore the world of spirit and faith. My family has been directly impacted by her services, and I hope you gain something from this episode and share it with a friend. Welcome back to the All Mommy Care podcast. I am so excited to have Jill with us. She is the spiritual counselor with PD Pals through Notre Dame Palliative Care here in Worcester, Mass. And we've known Jill since Ollie was diagnosed, so about a year and a half. And I'm just really excited to have you on, Jill, because I don't think a lot of families really know about palliative care or, you know, a spiritual counselor that can accommodate people virtually, families virtually, or in the hospital with the chaplains. And so our conversation today is really centered on providing that either spiritual or religious support that a lot of families maybe don't think about. So I'm really excited to dive in and really talk about some tactful ways that you've been helping my family and also other families. And your whole resume is just so impressive with all the different roles that you've played. So let's dive right in. Okay. So, like I said, you're the spiritual counselor at PD Pals through Notre Dame. What is palliative care? How is it different from hospice care? Okay. So, the World Health Organization describes palliative care this way. Palliative care is an approach that improves the quality of life of patients and their families facing problems associated with life-threatening illnesses through the prevention and the relief of suffering by means of early identification and impeccable assessment and treatment of pain and other problems, physical, psychological, and spiritual. So that's the definition, but palliative care with children and families is special as it gives wonder, support, and language to the unique journeys that they are experiencing. 
Hospice often comes with the idea that someone has six months or less to live, while palliative care is not always so hard-lined, especially with children. With adults, there might be a lot of overlap. With children, again, it's that extra support, and it's very holistic. Yeah, and to be honest, I didn't even know what palliative care was until we got involved in this program. And you know, at past episodes, I've interviewed Carrie, the massage therapist, so she's part of your team as well. There's also a child life specialist that's a part of PD Pals as well. So mm-hmm. we're really, my family's so blessed to have you guys, and mm-hmm. it really is making an impact on how I view my son's diagnosis and his treatment and his well-being. And it's just nice to know that, you know, you guys are always a phone call away and just to have that extra support. And not only that, but just the option to have a FaceTime call or a Zoom call. And then you guys totally understand like, oh, can't make it today. Let's reschedule. For my family, from our perspective, it's really been helpful. We were talking a little bit before we started recording that, you know, when Ollie was diagnosed, my husband and I really, you know, not very religious people. We grew up Catholic, but we kind of created our own wedding ceremony. And so we we weren't, I wouldn't say we weren't like floundering, but I wanted to, you know, hold on to something. I wanted someone to help kind of guide me and the wonderful just way that you approach my family, Jill, is just amazing. Like you've listened to what I would like, you know, to provide Ollie in terms of spiritual care and you've really tailored his treatment um, to that. And I, I really appreciate it so much because I'm sure you get so many different types of families that have, you know, different backgrounds, different traditions, different religions. And I just want to acknowledge you and just thank you so much for really taking the time to slow down and really listen. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. So how did you get involved in spiritual care? My journey towards providing spiritual care began working in a shelter for children who would ask me and would wonder why they couldn't talk about God or religion. I already had my bachelor's in philosophy and theology and decided to go get my master's in theology so I could kind of figure out how to meet their needs. While I was in school, I heard papers that were called verbatims that described visits with patients who are usually in the hospital and how they worked to find out what their spiritual needs were. This was wonderful for the children in the shelter. I was able to create a spiritual assessment and was able to have a multi-faith minister who had experience running groups already, run a spirituality group for them and create opportunities for the children to sign up to go to religious services in the city of Worcester, including a Jewish service, Zen meditation, and various other Christian denominations of their choice. These were all different places that they had asked to go. I then worked as a hospital chaplain on medical and psychiatric floors in two Massachusetts hospitals for four years. Pediatric palliative care was offered to me after working for about a year and a half at Notre Dame's nursing home. I gained training in godly play, also with the Pediatric Chaplains Institute and Spirit Play. The sense of wonder is often what guides spiritual work with children and their family. How did you develop an assessment for the children in the shelter? I, I, what I simply did is I asked the question, 
what what do you find gives you um, peace or what what do you really enjoy doing? It was a simple question like that. And they were able to answer one one girl that I was really close to mentioned that she loved basketball, that that made that brought her peace. Other children were able to say, you know what, I used to always go to church with my grandma. That's something I really want to do again. And we were able to kind of write that up a little bit about their spirituality. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just about what their religion was in the chart. It was more about what really meant a lot to them. Wow. You know, and it's funny just to think of it like that. I mean, like you mentioned, just simply playing basketball. And I couldn't even imagine, you know, the children in the shelter and what they're going through and everything. And and for you to be able to pull out that little nugget, that little like golden star that that girl was holding on to is like, you know, basketball and kind of make that her own little Zen zone hers. That's really interesting. That's wonderful. So then from there, how did you bounce over to your next position um, working in the hospitals? Well, because I finally had, since I had my master's in theology, I kept looking up looking and seeing if there was something that else I could do. And I already had taken something that's called clinical pastoral education, which is a training program for chaplains and ministers um, in the hospital. So with that experience, I saw the, the first job that I took was in Brockton at Good Samaritan Hospital. When I interviewed, uh, the priest who interviewed me said, you know, I can't promise you you're going to get this job. There are other people that are trying, but I was lucky and I got the job. I got a good, I think almost four, close to five years experience there. And it really opened my eyes, taught me how to pray with people and also being with people in difficult situations. Yeah. Wow, and then it takes a lot of strength. Thank you. It, yeah. That I just give you so much credit because spirituality and religion is such a personal topic for individuals. It's different between my husband and I, different between families, different between children and parents especially adolescents and parents. And to be able to provide the service that you do is just truly remarkable. When we get together, usually it's through, it's through FaceTime. I think one time, maybe in the beginning, I think you came to our apartment. I can't remember. It was such a blur. Um, or maybe we've always done FaceTime. I don't know. But um, the way, like I said, the way that you've impacted my family and Ollie it's just been wonderful to, you know, have you on the calendar. And we usually try to schedule it in the morning because it's right after breakfast. And it's usually when Ollie has the most attention. Um, and he, you always pick wonderful stories. His favorite and the only one that sticks out in my mind right now is the farmer one. <laughs> yes, yes. Which he loves. And it's a wonderful story about a farmer that has, there's a seed and the seed grows and he just absolutely loves it and what's wonderful is that he does retain the information you've asked him a couple of questions about like comprehension and what happens and even though he may be you know busy playing and but he's still listening and now every time i feel like he always requests like the farmer book <laughs> i only want the farmer yeah, book yes and um, the amazing thing for the what we're going through in the world the the title of the story is actually called it's going to be it will be okay yeah and so you have such a nice gentle approach 
to working with kids that are going through, well, PDPAL in general is basically any child that's under 18 that has a life-threatening illness or disability um, can be eligible. You have to apply to the program. But it's such a nice approach because usually every time like you have an awesome story and, and you give uh, given Ollie a couple of choices on the books, usually you have a stuffed animal. So we grab a stuffed animal too. And it's such a nice time in the morning to not only just like sit down at the table and like or have him play and listen to you, but also for me too. <laughs> it's nice because it's a change to our regular scheduled program and I keep thinking if he was in daycare or if he was in preschool it's important for him to be listening to others other than you know Ryan and I and so it really helps him on so many levels what do you do for the kids that are a little bit older what's I know it you tailor it to whatever mm-hmm. the child or the family's needs are but typically like overall what is it kind of like So some of the older children that I've worked with, um, one in particular, I know we started out doing a lot of meditation and a lot of me just listening to what he was kind of going through, but it's really evolved to the point where he doesn't always want the meditation, but he definitely wants to talk about what's going on in his world. And he's started being able to say his own prayers. Sometimes he'll let me pray, but he's been saying his own and he does come from a tradition where meditation is more of what their background is. There's been other children that as they're getting older, using art, using the prayer when they're older and they know that your, your spiritual care, that that's what your role is. Sometimes they actually want the prayer. So I have one little girl where we would write some prayers together and usually do some artwork to go along with it. That's really nice. So you really do listen to whatever the child or uh, the patient really needs and, and you're able to adapt it to to what they need. Now, I think also too, do you also um, help the parents as well or is it solely just the, the children? Absolutely the parents as well. Sometimes the children that I work, I've worked with might not be verbal. So there's two things that happen. If I'm doing something like a godly play story or a story, the parents are watching their children engage like visually with the story and follow the story. And they enjoy that. But they also, I've had a couple families where I can just sit down and talk to them, either the mom or the dad about what they're going through. And it allows them to be able to kind of see things in a new perspective. And that word wonder again, they're allowed to wonder about what their goals are or what the future looks like, or even just about what they're going through in the present moment. So can you expand a little bit? You mentioned godly play. What is that? Yes. So godly play is a form of, believe it or not, religious education that was started by a man named Jerome Berryman, if I say his name right. Um, And he noticed he is an Episcopal priest. And he noticed that children were often being taught by just giving information and saying, this is what you're supposed to take from it. Mm -hmm. So what he did is he created um, using different, um, for example, if it was the nativity story, and he's telling the story of the Holy Family, he calls it, he'll use the figures to tell the story 
and tell the children that this is a nativity scene that you can touch. Mm -hmm. It's yours. And then he asks wonder questions at the end. So he's not saying, you know, he's not saying, okay, where was Jesus born? He's saying, okay, I wonder what your favorite part of the story it was or is. And I wonder what was most important. Then he would ask, I wonder where you find yourself. And the last question would be is, I wonder if you could take something away from this story, what would you take away? And sometimes with little kids, I use the word race because then it, it might, it's a little more concrete. And then in the Unitarian Church, there was, um, I forget her name right now, but she created something called Spirit Play that uses his foundation, uses some of his stories, but then uses stories from other backgrounds. So there might be some Buddhist stories, there could be some Muslim stories, and then a lot of the Unitarian principles. So she uses a lot of those as well. So it's giving them a chance to wonder about things instead of giving them the direct answers. Yeah, very open-ended and engaging conversation. Yes. I would be interested to learn more about the Unitarian. We haven't talked about that. (laughs) I know, I know. We'll have to, They and they do trainings, which is really quite wonderful. Mm -hmm. I'll try to get you more information and I can try to do one, but I have found it difficult to do it through, through the Zoom. It's more difficult to do these stories because they're they almost need to be touched yep. and need to be seen in front of you. Yeah, I we can definitely talk more about that because, I mean, I'm a fixer. So if there's any way I could like buy the kit or like make my own dolls with Ollie, yes. you know, um, even like paper dolls or, or, I mean, right now he's in a Spider-Man phase. We could use Thanos and Spider-Man. Like mm-hmm. we could be creative, but yes. Yeah, because Ryan and I, we got married by a Unitarian Universalist pastor, and it was such a special ceremony to us, and I would definitely be interested in learning more about that. That would be awesome. We talked a little bit about my experience with my family, um, and then we talked about, you know, how you tailor your services towards different families and what the kiddos need or the um, the older kids need. How can families get involved in services like spiritual care? Like I know we talked okay. about, you know, when you're in the hospital for months on end, and I had, you know, shared with you my experience when Ollie had his port surgery, write a diagnosis, you know, my mom pulled me and said, come on, let's go right down to the chapel right away. And I felt like that was the only thing that we could do versus waiting in the waiting room, you know, but it was empty. There was no, you know, chaplain there. There wasn't a priest there. And even though I felt a little bit of comfort there, I feel like maybe we can talk a little bit about how can we make that connection between, because you pretty much are child life. You're part of child life and engaging, um, you know, with the child and helping them with their treatment while they're going through it. Um, but how how do you think we can kind of bridge that gap for those families that are stuck in the hospital for months on end? I would definitely recommend asking for the chaplain because I think almost every chaplain that's there in the hospital is trained and they do have unique talents. If they're not called upon, they're not using them. And you can specifically say, you know, I might not be looking for a priest, but I'm definitely looking for a chaplain, someone to talk to. Sometimes people will ask for a chaplain because they want the prayer. Like when you are in that chapel, it might have been comforting to you to have someone 
just to pray with you about what you're going through. Others might be comfortable being able to play a little bit like child life does, but they have a different focus because they're a chaplain. They have that understanding and the focus of the spirit and that it gives them an ability to kind of connect with people on different levels. So the questions they might ask, even your son or somebody else's child might be a little different than the questions that child life might ask because child life is trying to help them understand the procedures and feel more comfortable and not be so anxious in that setting. Mm -hmm. While the chaplains might be able to help them just kind of be in that moment and figure out what's on his mind, what's on her mind. And also for the parents, like we mentioned with PD pals, to have that chaplain there to help bounce those different questions that might be going on in your head and normalize them could also be good. What's the difference between a chaplain and a priest? So a priest can be a chaplain, an imam can be a chaplain. A chaplain doesn't have to be someone who's ordained. A chaplain can be almost anyone that has that spiritual training and religious training. So someone who's Catholic. It wouldn't have to be a priest or a nun. It could be somebody else that has that degree. And the same thing with in the Muslim tradition, while you could have an imam that could be a chaplain, you could have um, you could also have a woman who's trained in her her religion and spirituality. And most of the time, not always, chaplains, especially in the hospital, are there to meet people of different traditions. While sometimes a priest they're very sacramental, if that makes sense. Sure. But a priest can be a chaplain. Okay. Yes. All right. Wonderful. So in many hospitals, are there, I mean, I haven't really explored this world, but in many hospitals, there's a chapel. Um, but is there usually just like one or two chaplains that are dedicated for per hospital that they, they solely work at that hospital or like, how does it, how does it work? Do you mm -hmm. know? So the two hospitals that I worked at when I was at Good Samaritan, we had a team where there would always be, I think three chaplains in the building. There'd always be one priest chaplain, even if he was just there to do the sacramental visits mm -hmm. and then he would leave or it was the, the main, he would be there all day. I think somewhere like UMass might have two or three chaplains, depending on the day. When you go into Boston, they probably have a chaplain. They, they probably have a good, at least five chaplains for the different floors. Mm -hmm. And they would also have an on-call chaplain who might, they might sleep there. They might be at home and just be ready to come in if they're needed for something. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've seemed to notice. But I think UMass itself, between the two hospitals, I don't know how many they have, but I know they have at least the two or three. Yeah. And that's such a nice service to have, too, because, I mean, going back to, you know, when Ollie was diagnosed, your mind just kind of like implodes on itself and you have to take in all this medical jargon and nothing makes sense. And you know, I know you and I have talked about in the beginning, um, you know, questioning God, why is this happening? And there's so many questions along with the medical questions. And sometimes it's just helpful. Like you talked about a wonder question, you know, your mind just goes a hundred miles a minute. And so to be able to kind of take that control back and say like, you know what, wait a minute, like, I know the diagnosis. Here's here's what the next day is going to look like, but I need to talk with somebody. And and you're taking a different approach than 
you know, child life than um, a family therapist providing that spiritual care or that religious care goes just as far as the medical care as well. Mm -hmm. We talked about how, you know, different families have different needs and you really do tailor, you know, your services to whatever the child needs. So like in Ollie's case, so he'll be done with treatment in 18 months. And do we like age, you age out of the program when you're 18, but he can continue in the program until he's 18. Is that right? Or when he's done with treatment? I think it's something that would be a better question for the social worker, but I know that in when when a child has stabilized and no longer needs treatment, it has made it through remission. Um, in those cases, usually they will graduate off of mm-hmm. PD pals yeah. when th- when they're ready. Usually, when a child graduates off, whether it's because it's actually 19, not 18, but oh, it's wow. so close. Because when they turn 18, they have to start doing all the work. If they're still, if they're still at need for other work like guardianships, there's still a lot of work to be done. But whenever they gra- whenever a child graduates off, one of our roles is to make sure we've helped them find resources in the community. There was one um, family that I worked with very similar to Ollie, I believe. And when it was time for her to graduate off the program, they enjoyed doing the godly play and stories so much that I gave them resources to look and find find a church that might fit them when they were ready. It doesn't mean that they went right away, but they had the resources. Option. And that way, when they're discharged, you're not just saying, you know, all everything's cut off. You're giving right. them the, what they need to find what was working for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. It's not like you're just, you know, cutting them off and you're providing a bridge for them to continue being successful and continue with, you know, whatever services they need or religious or spiritual care that their family is leaning towards. Because, I mean, many of these families, pretty much everybody, it's a lifelong thing that these kids are diagnosed with. It's you know, I mean, even after all he's done with treatment, it takes five years for him to be considered cured. And then we go back for labs all the time. So even though, you know, on paper, it's the end of treatment, your whole life has been turned upside down. So for you to be able to provide them with the extension services is just, it's absolutely wonderful. And for families to know that ahead of time too. And what you said is when, if there is a reoccurrence, um, children that have already been on PD pals, we will, we would accept them back if there was that need. But, but obviously the hope is that, that you don't need us again. Right. But if you do, we're there. Yeah. And that's such a comfort too, again, to have the option to Mm -hmm. opt back into it or to say, you know what, I need some extra assistance, or can you provide some recommendations, or can I talk to someone, or who do I talk to? It's just, it's so wonderful. So if you're in the Worcester, Massachusetts area, I think PD Pals, I think you guys service families that are just in Central Mass, or is it all of Massachusetts, do you know? So PD Pals themselves are most of Massachusetts. Okay. There's a few areas that are out of out of service, if that yeah. makes sense. But I think they take care of most of Massachusetts. Notre Dame, we take care of central, the Worcester area, 
but we branch out a little bit. We go to some places that maybe no other um, PD pals go to Mm -hmm. because we're willing to take them on. We go as far as Lowell right now. And in the other direction, places like Southbridge and Oxbridge. So we do have a pretty large area. Wide radius. Yeah, we do. So if listeners that are not in Massachusetts are listening and they're curious about palliative care, uh, what what would you recommend them do? Just talk with their hospital social worker and see how they can get connected with a service like this? Yes, they can definitely talk to their hospital social worker. They could talk to their doctor as well. And they could look at the website and see if it's something that they feel like they would like. We have had some families self-refer themselves before the doctors do. But yeah, it's it's a great service. There's a music therapist. There's a social worker that helps you kind of figure out the tough things. There's a nurse that kind of helps because you have that extra support person that understands the medical world, child life, the massage therapist, and myself. You have the spiritual care. Yeah, and to have that tie, like you mentioned, with the the nursing staff, like it's, I always say, you know, when we left after Ollie's diagnosis, when we left the hospital, I felt like I was leaving with a newborn because I didn't know what to do. I was so un, like not confident in my ability to care for him. And we were so nervous. And to be able to have that link with the nursing staff is it really in, it really was very helpful, especially through the really tough first nine months of his treatment, because I was still such an emotional wreck that I feel like half the time, half the phone calls or half their visits was me just crying and letting everything out. So it was like therapy for me. And Ollie was just playing like, whatever, mom, you know, but, but it's just such a wonderful service, palliative care to touch the family in whatever way they need and meet them where they're at, where they are with their child's treatment, with their child's diagnosis. Um, if there's, you know, questions that they have, wonder questions, it's it's very different from a traditional therapist. And I just consider ourselves so lucky that we're involved in this program because it's it's just such a wonderful program to, you know, have at our disposal. And I I definitely gain a lot from it. And even though Ollie's three, I think, you know, he he does he likes the stories and Whenever I say, like, come on, Ollie, we have to get ready to give a call with Jill. He's like, oh, Jill, okay, let's go. Like, he's excited <laughs> about it. I kind of have yeah. to, you know, time it just right so he's kind of, you know, focused. But um, but he he's very aware of, because we've been meeting for so long now, he's very aware, like, oh, we get to call Jill now. So, um, so it's very motivating for him, which is awesome. The two last questions that I do have are, how has the pandemic changed the spiritual care work that you do? It's really opened up um, the possibilities and the people that we can meet because I can't bring the godly plague objects with me and right now. So that, that part's tough for me, but it's allowed me to, to be able to do the virtual visits to that's something that we never really had the capability of doing before. And there's so many families that it's so much, they feel so much better not bringing too many people into the house. Mm -hmm. So for this to be an option, I think will be something that helps even when the pandemic's over. 
phone calls, those things have gotten, they've been, there's a lot stronger of a skill now because it's something that we've had to do for some families. It's nice to have that option too. Like we've still been in our bubble, you know, especially with me eight months pregnant, baby could come any day. (laughs) Like it's just so much easier to do the FaceTimes. Before we run out of time, can you, I always ask everybody that comes on the podcast, like, what motivates you to do the work that you do? Um, I think it's the the unknown and the creativeness of this type of job, whether it's hospital chaplaincy in the nursing home or PD pals. There's always, you never know how a visit's going to go. You can be completely planned. So that spontaneity and that just willingness to kind of be there in the moment. I I think that's what motivates me to do this type of work. Yeah. I enjoy that. I I credit you so much because sometimes half of our calls, I'm literally chasing Ollie with the iPad up and down the (laughs) stairs. He's like, let's go in my bed. (laughs) So, I mean, I credit you because you have a lot of patience and especially working with the toddlers, it's tricky. And I don't know how those preschool teachers are doing it remotely. Right. I give them all the credit in the world. Um, but, but again, like, it's just, it's been such a treat to have you as part of our team. And half the time I'm like, oh God, I feel so rude. Like we're just like all over the place. He's like all over the place today. Um, but in the end, you know, it does end up becoming a conversation piece when we have dinner together, we talk about, Hey, you know, let's tell daddy, what did we talk about with Jill? What was the book about? Like, so it really is an extension. It's not just, you know, a half an hour Zoom chat and then it's done. It's a whole conversation piece. And then we tell the grandparents about it and he'll say, remember the farm book? Oh, what was it about? And so it's really helping him a lot. So kind of in closing, I'll make sure to put the link to the Notre Dame, which is, um, in, again, in our area, PD Pals runs through Notre Dame Nursing Home. Um, and I'll make sure to put the link in the show notes and I'll also link it on the All Mama Care website. Mm-hmm. And Jill, I just want to thank you so much. I know that you've had probably a super long day. You have two little ones at home. You're so busy. And I just really appreciate the time that you took to hop on the podcast and talk about all these amazing things that you're doing and how you're helping my family. And I just, I truly appreciate you as a person and thanks for being patient with me when I have to run around (laughs) chasing Ollie with the iPad. No, it's fun. It's a fun journey (laughs) because I'm going to be able to watch him grow. You'll watch him grow. And thank you, Jackie, for having me on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks again for taking the time to listen to this episode. I hope you got a lot of value from it. If something from this stuck with you, I would love to hear from you. Feel free to message me on Instagram or on Facebook and tell me your thoughts. Join the private All Mama Care Facebook group to connect with me directly and other listeners across the globe. Hop on over to my website, allmommycare.com. All, A-L-L, no periods, mama, M-A-M-M-A, care, C-A-R-E dot com. There you'll be able to check out some amazing resources to help your child and your family. Wherever you're listening to this, take a screenshot, tag me and a couple friends. You never know, it might be exactly what someone needs to hear today. The Light Within Me honors the light within you.